Welcome to episode 5 of the Rusty Fox Farm podcast. Today is Sunday, May 21st, 2017. If you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back, and if you're a new listener, welcome. Rusty Fox Farm is a two-acre homestead in progress in rural southwest Ohio, and this podcast gives an update on what's going on around the farm. I'm thinking about making this a bi-weekly podcast. With my work schedule, sometimes I just don't get much done in the evenings, and then I cram as much as I can into the weekends, but that still doesn't always make a lot of content for the podcast. Would you, as a listener, rather have a shorter podcast weekly or a longer podcast bi-weekly? Comment on the show notes on the blog, Facebook, or Instagram and let me know. For the most part, I've stuck to simple dinners lately with a lot of grilling since the weather is nice. One night last week, I did try making corn tortillas on the grill. It was windy and not the best time to be opening the grill a lot as I was immediately losing the heat. They had a good taste, but you couldn't fold them and they were very crumbly. If you follow mom on any kind of social media, you probably see that she ran across videos for Russian icing tips and then ordered a couple of sets off of Amazon. She spent one day with her sister Anita experimenting with the new tips and buttercream icing recipes. The cupcakes turned out lovely with intricate flower patterns. She made them again yesterday, so we've had plenty of sugar in the house and tried to give it away to everybody. I've decided to designate Sundays for trying new recipes. Tonight, I tried the fish and chips recipe from my new Cook's Illustrated cookbook. It called for cod, but I didn't think the package I got looked like enough for the three of us. I added some frozen tilapia we had. I really shouldn't have done that as the recipe was not a hit. Dad didn't like it at all, and I'm hit or miss with seafood and it wasn't my favorite. Mom said she liked it, but we had a ton left over. Instead of tossing it, I shredded the fish and put it in a container and we'll give it to the cats and the dogs throughout the week. I've not been doing the best job at menu planning lately, but this past Thursday I made a menu for the next two weeks and did my grocery shopping based on the menu. Following a menu is great for budgeting and scheduling. It's something we normally do, we've just kind of fallen off track. I haven't been crafting a lot over the past two weeks, but I have been fairly productive. Last week I received a message from a buyer on Etsy wanting to know if I thought one of the covered boxes I had for sale would be large enough to hold cards for an anniversary party. It wasn't, but I offered to do a custom item for her. She agreed to that and bought the original set of boxes and the new box. That was my first sale on Etsy as Rusty Fox Farm. I used to sell miniatures under another name, but when the recession hit, all the sales dried up, so it was exciting to get my first sale. Yesterday was our monthly craft day. Currently, all of our paper crafting supplies are at my house instead of at the farm. Eventually, we'll move them here, but there's just not the storage right now. The two people who came this month always bring their own supplies, so we decided to hold it at the farm. The four of us had a great time. It will be nice to eventually hold all the craft days at the farm as there is a lot more room. I spent the day working on finishing a piece of embroidery. The finished piece is a stump work butterfly. Stump work is a type of three-dimensional embroidery that uses wire to outline shapes you later cut from your fabric. I had started the three-dimensional pieces back in February of 2016. The wings had been done for quite a while and all that needed done was to finish the body. So what I did at craft day was to stitch the body on linen, then mount the fabric on a piece of foam board. Traditionally, you wouldn't use a backing such as cardboard or foam board, but it worked for how I was framing it. I now wish I'd done the body a little more raised, but I'm still impressed with the finished piece. 
I've also been working on a set of pillowcases that I started and abandoned last summer. Those should be done tonight or tomorrow, and that will be another unfinished project I can mark off my list. While I love doing embroidery, I have a stack of finished embroidery pieces that I never do anything with. I don't like embroidery that is displayed in a hoop, and I know that's an unpopular opinion. I often have grand ideas about sewing them into a bag or pillow, but that rarely happens. I can't say just going through them occasionally isn't enjoyable, but I do feel they should be displayed. The weather has been mostly uncooperative, but the garden is coming along. We had a frost warning the night of May 7th. The tomatoes were already covered, but I covered two of the raised beds. The forecast after that was for rain, and rain, and more rain. So I left the row cover on since I couldn't walk in the garden without sinking. By the weekend, when I did take it off, the lettuces and radishes looked great, but the tomato seedlings had been pummeled by the rain and looked absolutely awful. Mother's Day weekend, Dad put a metal roof on the chicken coop. Mom and I helped him as he needed it, but mostly I turned the dirt in the two remaining raised beds and Mom mowed. While Mom was mowing, she called us back by the creek to see that someone had cut down one of our trees that was three to four inches in diameter. They had just left the tree where it had fallen. We filed a police report, but I'm not even sure a no trespassing sign would have prevented it. Once I finished clearing the two raised beds, Mom and I went to our local greenhouse, McCarty's. There we bought green peppers, jalapeno peppers, broccoli, and eggplants. Their tomato plants were gorgeous, a foot tall and three for a dollar. I was tempted and came home with 15 new tomatoes, three sweet 100s, six Romas, three Rutgers, and three mortgage lifters. I got all but the sweet 100s planted. Mom and I also planted our miniature garden on Mother's Day. It turned out really cute. I put a video up on Instagram if you follow us there. Most of our accessories we picked up while we were in the Amish. During the week, Mom cleaned out the shed and found a topsy-turvy planter she had picked up somewhere. What these typically are is a planter that you plant tomatoes in upside down and it's supposed to grow a really nice tomato. I looked it up because this one was different than the ones I had seen before. It had 15 holes in it, but it's actually for strawberries. Uh, we've never used this, obviously, but I'm wondering if anyone has any experience with them. We're going to try it, but I have my doubts about the longevity of the plants. Today I planted the cherry tomatoes. Two I planted in big pots out by the shed, and one I planted in the front flower bed. I'm not sure how any of them will do, but I want to experiment with a little with planting in different locations around the farm. To this point, I haven't talked much about animals, but sometimes our household can be similar to a zoo with a mixture of abandoned or orphaned cats, birds, and sometimes wildlife. A guy Dad works with is raising pheasants and he had some extra fertilized eggs. We got 10 of them and tried to get a hen to go broody on them. Our normally semi-broody hens would not sit on the eggs, so we ordered a small incubator from Amazon. It's not top of the line, but it seems to keep a steady temperature. It only holds seven, so I candled the eggs and chose the ones I felt looked like they had the best potential. I candled them again on day seven, and two had definitely died. I know you're supposed to wait an additional seven days to candle them again, but every time I filled the incubator with water for the past two days, it just smells off. I've never incubated eggs before, so I'm not sure if that is normal or not. I candled them again this morning, and another one has definitely died. One I am 100% sure is living because I could see the chick moving inside. The others are questionable, but they don't have a blood ring, so I'm letting them go for now. If they hatch, it should be around June 2nd or 3rd. 
Back in February, we had ordered 32 chicks from Murray McMurray Hatchery out of Iowa. I've never ordered mail-order chicks, so it was a little exciting and a little nerve-wracking once the shipping notice arrived on Monday. I thought chicks were overnighted, but they're not. They go priority mail. They finally arrived Thursday morning. All 32 were alive and seemingly healthy. We have a large two-tier cage from Amazon that has housed many things, and this year we're using it as a chick brooder. We lined the top and bottom with coroplast for easy cleaning. 20 white legerns, dad insists it is pronounced that way, went on the bottom. There are meat chickens for the year. A mix of 12 layers went on top. Three different cochins, two lakenvelders, two easter eggers, one silver lace, one brown legern, one white rock, one golden polish, and one mystery exotic. McMurray gives you a free exotic chick if you want it if you order 15 or more chicks. The exotic is either some type of polish or silky. She has poofy feathers on the top of her head. The three cochins and the mystery chicken are for our flock. The rest my aunt will be picking up soon for her flock. Friday night, one of the meat legerns died. Early Saturday morning, one of the meat legerns and the brown legern died. We had been checking on them a lot, and it seemed that in 10 to 15 minutes, one would go downhill. Mom would hand feed them water with electrolytes and hold it on a heating blanket, but none of them pulled out of it. Since then, they've all seemed healthy. I think they just ended up being in the mail 12 to 24 hours longer than they should have, and those were the weakest and didn't make it. They were all within the 48-hour window, so McMurray will replace or refund them. Two of our adult flock are doing their best to sound like roosters. As much as mom tries to reason with them to be quiet, I think we'll end up getting rid of both of them, both for our sanity and to keep peace with the neighbors. Friday evening, we heard a kitten crying at the edge of the woods, a very tiny black and white kitten. A kitten is pretty much the last thing we need. When we moved in, we got all the feral cats neutered and spayed and went a year and a half without new kittens. This one did not want to be caught, but cried and cried all night. Finally, mom caught her Saturday evening. She's all bony, so we're not sure how long she's been on her own. Within 12 hours, she calmed down considerably and will let you hold her, but she still spooks easy. She's slept almost constantly. She'll get spayed by UCAN out of Cincinnati and hopefully we'll find a new home for her. If you're in the Cincinnati area and you've never dealt with UCAN, they're a really good organization that does low-cost spay and neuters, and if you bring a feral cat, they do it for free certain times of the year. That's all I have for this episode, and I hope you'll join me again for more news from the farm. If you would like to learn more, you can find links to everything I've talked about at RustyFoxFarm.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as RustyFoxFarm, or you can email me at Emily at RustyFoxFarm.com.